This is a Federal News Network podcast. Mama never said it would be easy. Veterans Affairs officials knew they were taking on a long and expensive project when, back in 2017, they decided to replace VISTA, the Electronic Health Records and Management System. The new EHR has proven to be a heavy lift, especially when it comes to a realistic and enforceable schedule. We get the latest report from VA's Deputy Inspector General, David Case. Mr. Case, could have you on. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. And you looked at the issue of whether it has a what is considered a best practice across the government, an integrated master schedule that everybody follows. Did you find that this project doesn't have one? Does it have one they're not following, or does it have one they're not very good at following? I would characterize it this way. They have a start of an integrated master schedule, but it only runs through 2023, March, and it only covers at this point about 20 of the sites, 20 of the 170. So they have a start, but even what they have is not reliable because it just doesn't meet the standards that GAO and others have put out there and that the VA has adopted. So there's a big blank time period that's not there, 2023 forward, and what's in there just does not meet the necessary standards. Could it be that they thought they'd be done by 23? Uh, no, even the uh, projections they sent to Congress early on in the process look to 2028 as the completion date. All right. And just briefly, what are the elements that should be in a good integrated master schedule plan? Well, there's really four key elements that are part of any integrated master schedule that is going to be reliable. First, it has to be comprehensive. That means it goes from start to finish. And it includes all aspects of work that needs to be done by contractors, by VA and its various components. And it should be uh, as comprehensive as possible. We realize that it's tough to know what's exactly going to be done in year seven, eight, nine, or 10, but you can uh, put in what you know has to be done at this point. So for instance, for every site, we know there's going to have to be training, physical upgrades, And then you can add to that as you go forward and learn more. So it needs to be comprehensive. That's the first aspect. The second aspect needs to be credible. And that means there needs to be some associated risk analysis. And that gives you a sense of what's your best case, worst case, and your most likely case to tell you if you're going to get it done on time. And there's just two other aspects to it. One, it needs to be well-constructed, and that means it has what's called a critical path. That means it flows from A to B to C to D, and it gives you the uh, earliest time that the uh, project can get done, and that allows you to measure what delays will cause at the end of the project. And finally, it needs to be controlled. There should be a baseline that you're always measuring to. So those four aspects are really the key parts, uh, comprehensive, credible, well-constructed, and controlled. And who is responsible for this? Because the report seems to imply, or state rather, I should say, that the contractor, Cerner, is also a partner in the creation of a credible and useful schedule. Right. Uh, That's a good question. Ultimately, VA is responsible to have this in place and make sure it's followed. Now, they can contract out parts of it or all of it, but they need to be sure that it's being done up to necessary standards. Otherwise, They can't assess the progress, they can't identify problems, they can't identify resolutions, and they can't uh, really hold people accountable. So in the way it's set up, 
Cerner does have a role in this, but ultimately VA is responsible. Well, what does VA have to do then at this point? Because it is way behind schedule, and there are lots of technical issues with it, technological issues and usefulness issues, which I think you've detailed in other reports, as has the GAO and just about everybody else in town. But what, with respect to the schedule, can they get this back on track at this point? Well, we won't know until they get an integrated master schedule done. Uh, That's the key aspect to it. They need to map this out from where they're at now to the uh, 2028, if that's still the completion date. And so that way they can assess and outsiders can assess where they are and can they get this completed and do they have all the necessary components in place to get it completed. So really finishing this integrated master schedule and making it a reliable schedule is the key part of them assessing and others assessing where they stand. We're speaking with David Case, the Deputy Inspector General of the Veterans Affairs Department. And this lack of schedule, lack of professionally done schedule, let's say, what are some of the other effects that it could have on the project besides the project being over schedule or late? First of all, without the schedule, you can't tell where you stand and what needs to be done. Do you need more resources in one area, another area? What needs to be solved first? That's that critical path approach. Do we need this to be solved before we can move on to other things? Second, because you can't really assess where you stand on the schedule and completion, it potentially impacts the budget. If they can't get it done by 2028, every year thereafter, uh, in our estimation, is going to cost another $1.95 billion. So there's a lot of ramifications and how you uh, schedule your work, the resources you apply. There's just a lot of detailed ramifications. Right. And as you implied earlier, when you stated all of the elements that have to be in a schedule, there could be things that are not done. So it could be on schedule, but whoops, we missed a few things. Exactly. It can act as a checklist in a broad sense. Are you getting the work done that needs to be done? And measuring how long it takes to get it done. So you know, it might have taken me six months for this project in this uh, particular site in year five, then I have to plan it for a similar site in year eight. It's going to take roughly that period of time, unless I found some way to make it faster. Now, they do have two or three deployments. They've been rocky, but they have them at this point, so they're not at zero. But what is required for the project as it stands to be able to create this integrated master schedule at this point. And I think VA officials agreed they need to do that. Do they have to stop kind of cold on the work going on to create that schedule and then resume? Yeah, I think they've recognized they need to do work, as you said, on the integrated master schedule. It's really a dedication to the task is what I would call. You need to apply the resources to do it. And to take the lessons you've learned from your first three deployments, the work you're doing to correct and identify problems, solving some of the recommendations the IG has made, and then map that into your schedule. And then, once again, a critical component is that risk analysis. What's the risk in the schedule? You really can't do that until you, it's a complicated effort, until you have a process in place and you have something you can perform a risk analysis on. Who should be involved here? Because the technical ends of the project, that's a OCIO kind of function, but it's really not them alone that should be part of the schedule, I don't imagine. That's correct. They've got to incorporate all the various components 
in the process. DHA has a role in this. Yes, there's a lot of technical aspects. We need to understand what the contractors are doing or they need to understand and really got to incorporate all those and analyze them and put them in a schedule. And then that way you can see where the problems might lie, what you have to work around and plan towards. And a project of this scope and complexity, you don't have a master schedule or project plan that's on a whiteboard in somebody's office. Aren't there electronic tools that are pretty sophisticated to support something at this level? And I guess the secondary question to that one is, would it be worth their while to have a contractor take over the program management and the schedule? Well, you know, that's a decision they're going to have to make from a business perspective. I mean, they have their own resources. You know, they have to assess the skills uh, they have, the technical tools they have, what the contractors can bring to the effort. And right now, it's a mix of both. There's nothing wrong with that. They're just going to have to continue to analyze whether this is the most efficient way to construct the schedule and then monitor. The schedule can be modified. You'll learn as you go. So they can do a new iteration. They should archive the old one so they can see where they were at and what the changes are. But it can be a mix of VA resources, contractor resources. It's going to have to involve various components of VA in doing this. And you're right. It is a very complicated process. Even, as I indicated, the risk analysis is a very complicated technical effort. And other than the recommendation to establish an integrated master schedule, what other major specific recommendations did you have for VA here? Yeah, we've uh, had a couple here. First of all, they just need to work towards that end, and that's a critical part of it. There are other aspects to it that we've recommended. What we call stakeholder coordination, they really need to get VHA, OINT, VBA involved. Uh, once again, I keep circling back. They need to, once they get this in place, they need to get a process and procedure going for a risk analysis. They need to ensure that there's a coordination between the work breakout schedule and the integrated master schedule. Uh, we've recommended that they make their contract requirements clear. And then there's was a, one finding. Uh, there were some iterations of the integrated master schedule that have been done so far that were paid for before they were accepted, and they need to be uh, acceptance, determine if they're up to quality before they're paid for. And, and VA is committed to go forward and do all these things, and so we'll monitor that and look at evidence that they're accomplishing that. Right. The program office essentially agreed with what you found and recommended. Yes, that's correct. When they had their stand-down period and then issued a, a lessons learned in uh, July of 2021, once again, at that point, they also realized they need to move forward and do a better job with the integrated master schedule. David Case is Deputy Inspector General of the Veterans Affairs Department. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. We'll post this interview along with a link to his report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. 
She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to a as a leader, and what about them inspired you? you know, I often think about this because you know sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has you know been at the highest levels and all. But I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly whenever I was ten years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play little league bl- baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment and, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood, and I and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind that that what we say and do. Admit it, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on the results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, 
You know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2 of Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating, um, you know, from hi historical to current, uh, current times. I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.